Welcome to episode 100 of this Selby Is Godcast. It's actually more like episode 15 or something. I, we lost count. So um, we're just going to make up numbers here. Soupy, Zach Meisel here with you, trudging along in this uh, quiet off season. Although while we're on the podcast, the Indians will probably trade for Giancarlo Stanton or something. But TJ, what's going on? Are you reporting that? Is that actually sourced or just more speculation at this point? I I understand why you would make those ties. The Indians have tons of money to spend and are typically willing to give up prospects. So it seems to make sense on a lot of different levels here. I know the Indians fan base has kind of tamed out in the last few years since the team got good again, ownership spent money. But is there, like, have you seen any just outrageous fans going, they need to get Stanton and Otani. Like, are there? Because you know, a long for a long time, it was everyone was living in a fantasy world, and everyone was mad that they didn't give Josh Willingham fifty million dollars or give Jason Hayward two hundred and twenty million dollars. Are there any any fans left still thinking along those lines? I haven't seen any though. The Otani one, I mean, it's not necessarily about millions upon millions of dollars. If they had a little bit more capital to spend. Uh, in the international market, then it would make a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, they got like ten thousand dollars left, I think, of their international pool. So unless he really likes the free stamp and LeBron James, it's going to make it really tough to to make him to want to come to Cleveland. But now yeah, we're also talking like three million dollars being the high end that he can get. Uh, that well, would, what if Chris that Antonetti meets with meets with his reps and just shows them the "We're Not Detroit" video? <laughs> And then like what uh, is what is a sales pitch to get this guy to come to Cleveland when he's going to meet with every team? Look how much LeBron James meant to us that we put together this video begging LeBron to stay with all of these Cleveland personalities. Please Fox stay, a LeBron. WMMS and all these other people that we probably years from now will look back on and say, why? Why are they in this video? Mark from Norton's Furniture. Well, he was the headliner. Other than that, I don't know what the sales pitch would be. We're really good right now, you know, years from now, maybe not when you're in arbitration, but you know, when you're not making any money, you could come here and try to win a world series. Ooh, TJ, you're segueing perfectly into what I want to talk about. That's because you might have Uh, sent me a few notes before the show started. (laughs) So up on the athletic at some point, whenever my dog stops chewing the new Christmas blanket and lets me write, um, by the way, Linus turns one on Saturday. Oh, happy birthday, so, Linus. Any special yeah. plans? Uh, we're probably... I was talking for months like we were going to throw this huge banger and just invite everyone in the world and celebrate. <laughs> and keg stands. That, oh, wait, he's not of age yeah. yet. I'm sorry. But dogs don't know what birthdays are, so there's not really a point to that. So Neither do babies, few... but we still did the one-year <laughs> birthday party for Ethan, though, as you'll realize throughout marriage and then you go to have kids a lot of the early stuff isn't for the kids at all it's for you it, you, you you take them yeah. halloween around for halloween trick-or-treating for you it's not for them and then you get to eat the candy later because you know there's only so many different things that you can eat from that so that's how you justify the the, the three hershey candy bars that you smash out of his collection from october it's because you know he can't really have this much sugar at this age but at least ethan 10 years from now can look on your phone and see pictures of him at his first birthday if i show linus pictures of him at his first birthday (laughs) 10 years from now he's gonna be like 
He's going to eat my phone. Like, I, there's, it doesn't work the well, same the, way. Well, the biggest so. problem with that is by from 10, 10 years from now, we'll just be beaming the images into each other's brains. We won't even need phones at that point. That's true. Um, so I think we're just going to get him a new bed, which he'll probably tear apart, and some toys. But um, the Indians are also looking for some new toys. Huh? Hey! No. I, I, so... I. Well, this was a very long-winded way of saying I'm working on a story just kind of gauging what the Indians' true window of contention is. And I know teams hate talking like that, even though Mark Shapiro at one point said, what do you say, the Indians hope to contend every five years or so, or something like that. Um, but the Indians, you know, there's a, there is a window where they will have a better chance to compete than you know, even if they want their goal is to contend every single season, that's not totally realistic. And some seasons it's more valid than others, even if they're not going to have that tear it down of the studs rebuilding project that the Astros went through, the Cubs went through, the Browns are doing. I don't know. Um, so I, I, first off, I'm wondering if 2017 was their best chance. And at what point does this start to, reach nervous territory where the a lot would have to go right for them to win the world series and, and end this now 70 year hex. Well, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this a bunch because a, it didn't, didn't end well. And B, not only did they not reach their ultimate goal because of how horribly they got to the end point, that, yeah, 2017 was probably their best shot, at least being the deepest team, um, the healthiest they might be heading into the postseason. Well, you could make an argument against that, considering guys were coming back from injury. But you, didn't, you weren't missing two-thirds of your rotation, so there wasn't anything like that in the way. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that if they never win a World Series, that you'll probably point back to this season being the one that hurts the most. Maybe the way that you can look back on 1996 as being that sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there. As far as the window goes, I, I, I do think that sometimes we make too much of that window of contention because team, and you're right that certain years are gonna, they're going to present better opportunities than others. But still, smart teams that are diligent and are, are, have enough foresight to look ahead and see what might be on the horizon, how they can be proactive. There are ways to extend the window that you don't get caught in Detroit Tigers territory. You, know, you, can, you can trade guys. You can, you can make certain decisions, not get caught up in long-term contracts for, for bad players or guys that won't be as valuable two or three years in that sort of help you extend that window. So, in that regard, I think if, you may, if you're smart about how you spend your money and, and you don't make any of those crippling signings and you still draft and develop well and you don't trade away all of your assets to try to, to bring in players and you still have some element in, in your minor leagues to make you a solid system, you can extend the window longer than I think it's, it's conceivable to a lot of people. But having said that, I mean, the way that it's set up right now, which is kind of the core they have in place, I would think that 2018 is probably their last best shot with the bullpen still being largely intact, minus Brian Shaw, perhaps minus Joe Smith. You still have Andrew Miller and Cody Allen. Those guys are still under control through 2018. You don't know about beyond that, but 
you, your starting pitching is still strong. Your bullpen is still probably very strong. And your position player core is still is still manned by Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, and Edwin Encarnacion pre-decline. So I, I, I think that this would be the, the last great shot for them where I still think they would have opportunities in 2019 and in 2020 because the pitching is still there. This, this might be their last best shot to get it done. Yeah, I agree. I, you never know. As it's happening, I mean, as the 22-game winning streak was happening, obviously no one is thinking, man, this is it. Like, they've got to win it this year. Um, just like in the 90s, like, 95 was probably, like, their best shot, 95 and 96. Um, but you don't think that at that point because it still seemed like the beginning. And you never know, and we don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, we can look at it and say, okay, well, you know, you have Lindor and Ramirez and Kluber and Carrasco sign long-term. Um, plenty can change. You can add guys. You can make trades. But we only know, we only really know at this point who probably isn't coming back or who might not be coming back. And, and it's impossible to predict whether Andrew Miller will sign an extension or, or Cody Allen will stick around long-term. Or, or so, I mean, by the way, Zach, if you'd even want Andrew Miller to sign an extension, because you're also talking about a reliever that's maybe not going to be in his prime anymore. And the question of volatility in relievers is always there. You know, so I think that's a, a big part of that too. Which brings me to my next question. It, and you touched on this. I think you want to trade guys and retool too early rather than too late. And it's really hard to find out to, to determine what that right timing is. The Tigers hung on too long. The Phillies hung on way too long. And and those two franchises, well, the Phillies have paid um, the price for that, and, and the Tigers are going to. The Tigers are going to be terrible for at least four or five years. So how do, how do the Indians go about this? How do you turn it over without dismantling and, and with preserving your World Series contender status and, and – at the same time, how do you make sure you're not doing it too soon? You're not pulling the plug and, and trading Danny Salazar a year too early. You're not trading Carlos Carrasco a year too early. You're not trading. I mean, Francisco Lindor has four years of team control left. When it gets to that point in 2020 and he's got a year left, do you do you, do you hang on to him and then lose him for nothing? Do you trade him and, and get stuff back to kind of turn that over? I mean, there's this is a thousand questions I'm throwing at you, but how how do Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff look at this? And and you have to look down the line and say, okay, well, we know we're going to be heavy favorites to win the division in 2018, but after that, I mean, it's it's not so certain. Right, the Twins are coming, and they could make some moves this offseason that could even challenge the Indians in 2018 to not be the runaway winners. They still think I think there's a good chance that both teams will be good, but. Yeah, a couple smart moves on their part, and it could be a lot more interesting. I, I go back to what the Indians tried to do in 2002, because I think they had the right idea. It's just the execution was off, and they had some bad luck, too, with uh, with uh, Escobar. What was his name? I can't Are remember they bringing – you want them to bring Ricky Gutierrez back? Oh, well, if that works, if that, you know, if that appeases everything you might need. The... They do need a second baseman. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have enough infielders and first base left field types either. Um, you know, so I, I look at what they tried to do. You know, they traded Robbie Alomar to the Mets, and, and it was the right time to do that. 
because you look at what happened. The argument is, isn't that they traded Robbie Alomar too soon. The argument is that they didn't get the right pieces back for Roberto Alomar at the time mm-hmm. because then he went off a cliff for the Mets. So obviously that was the smart decision and he was coming off three tremendous years and they made that move and they brought in Matt Lawton and, and it just didn't pan out. They didn't get the right players. But the idea that they were trying to to go with was correct. It's probably just the execution, who they targeted, and maybe they were thinking too much about let's bring in players that can help us now. Maybe if they had shifted their sights to players that are nearing their um, their elevation, more of those types, it would have worked out a little bit better. But I think that's the... Isn't isn't that the idea here when you're when you're trying to extend the window? Because there's there's two ways to go about building a World Series caliber team. One is to do what the Cubs and the, the Astros did. You bought them out. You have to draft well. You have to commit to losing for two to three years, and you can't go away from that strategy. And if you make the right decisions along the way, you become a really good team. And the other way is that you sell pieces before maybe you would have or, or maybe before the fans think you should and maybe you sacrifice a little bit now for the longevity of the team and you have the foresight to move guys not based on uh, you know any any alliances that you have because of their they're being good people or they've they've meant to a lot to the organization that you have to take that 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 mindset that's difficult sometimes and, and trade a player away while he's still popular or while he's still talented, knowing that the, the cliff is there at some point and you have to be able to turn those guys over, turn those assets into, to, to more assets. And I, I think they're going to approach that at some point, probably I would think early 2020s where they really legitimately have to make that decision because that's when some of their superstar talent will be, starting to near either a free agency or B the cliff. But yeah, I, I, I think if you can, if you can find ways to be proactive and I don't, I don't know that there's anybody, I mean, do you think there's anybody on the team right now that they could take that, that sort of mindset with, you know, I can take that with Lindor or Ramirez, even though they might have draft or you might have trade value through the roof. You're not going to do that with Corey Kluber Probably not Carlos Carrasco. Maybe the only guy you would consider doing that with is Danny Salazar. But, I mean, are there those pieces on the team that you could be proactive with? Maybe it's it's Jason Kipnis, but I don't know what you bring back in that sort of trade. You know, I, I think that's difficult to try to find that on this team. Here's the reason why the answer is no. It's because if you if you mapped out how do the Indians win a World Series, how do, how do they have optimal October success – it's Kluber and Carrasco pitching like aces and your key position players delivering when you need some runs. And, and obviously the, you, need a, you need the bullpen. So I don't think Miller and Allen, even though I think the Indians would typically look at the situation and be like, well, why don't we flip Andrew Miller or Cody Allen, who only have one year of control left anyway, and, and try to get a couple of pieces. I think that's how the Indians would think, but because it's almost like they're almost on tilt now because you you have to load up and try to win a World Series because you came so close two years ago and failed, and you were the favorites this year and failed. So normally I would say yes, but I don't think you can because the key components to your roster are guys that you're going to need in October, and you aren't going to have the kind of depth you had in 2017. You're going to lo- if you lose Santana and Bruce and Shaw and Smith, well, all of a sudden 
you don't have well, you certainly don't have the money to go out and, and replace all of those guys. So you're relying on Diaz or Naquin or Brantley or whomever. And so so you don't have the depth to to make that trade and to get guys who maybe aren't in their primes yet, but would be in their primes in a couple years when you need some more talent. So they're in kind of a tricky spot. And, and I think it's just, it's compounded by the fact that they came so close and didn't get to experience the ultimate success. So now you're, you're still kind of chasing and chasing and, and you want to make sure you have as good of a roster as possible. And maybe, maybe you sacrifice some future for that because yeah, you, you probably could flip Miller around and get something. Maybe you would explore trading Bauer Carrasco now, just because you have a little bit of depth in the rotation in the rotation, but I don't think you can do that because I think you need all of those guys in October. And the other, I think there's a, a huge part of this too that's unfortunate for people making decisions is that this stuff doesn't happen on a computer screen like we make trades in HBD or sign players in HBD and trade them a year later in our fantasy baseball league. It doesn't work like that because you're dealing with actual personalities and a fan base that wants to know why you're making certain decisions and – it's not as easy to, to, to go through those lean years or last year, while I, I, wouldn't, I would not have made a, a deal for Andrew Miller, talking about in the offseason, I would have been in favor of exploring it and at least seeing what's out there because his value was probably never going to be higher. But the unfortunate part is, Zach, the, probably the smartest baseball thing for the Indians to do was to, to see if they could – recoup some of the losses that they had to, to trade to get an Andrew Miller by trading him in the offseason. But it's really difficult after you've just won back your fan base, after you finally have people putting aside some of the hatred for their ownership and putting aside some of the narratives that have existed for 10 years or whatever it's been, it's really difficult to then turn around and trade the guy that was like the boogeyman coming out of the the bullpen and had helped you win back some of those fans for guys that are going to be prospects. That's why I don't envy the, the decisions that they have to make because it is so easy for you and I to make those choices on paper and say, well, Hey, this makes a lot of sense. If you did this, these things don't exactly happen like that. And you have to, you you have to appease your fans now at the same time as, trying to make them happy in the future. And I think that's difficult to walk that line because you shouldn't make all decisions based on what the fans want. But it's also, it, 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 it's a part of this that you can't also ignore. Sure. And let's, let's take a second here to, to kind of clarify. We did a whole, our last podcast was easing the panic and kind of, or diffusing the panic and, and making sure fans realize even if they lose Santana and Bruce and Shaw, they're still really well positioned to win a World Series this year or, or next year or the year after, or maybe the year after that. So I'm going to call this podcast podcast stirring the pot. Or that after <laughs> last week was calming the waves, this one is going to be about restarting the hurricane. So, well, if we're making you feel uneasy, go back and listen to that one. I think things are fine. And, and also, they're going to play in a division where you have three teams that are going to struggle to win 65 games so that helps they'll be able to pad their their regular season win total they should have no trouble even if if the twins trade for Dellen Batansis and sign you Darvish and uh, bring Babe Ruth back to life like the Indians should still win the division 
um, without too much trouble next season. It, it's just the thing we're trying to examine is how do they make this last longer than just next year? When, when you might lose Cody Allen and Andrew Miller after 2018 and Michael Brantley and there are questions about who your catcher is going to be, how long your rotation can hold up because there's not a ton of depth behind Tristan McKenzie if you're looking at the farm system. I mean, there. how do you make this thing last so that it's not the cycle that fans are afraid of where you compete for three years and then you struggle for seven and you compete for three and struggle for seven? And I think it's kind of the question that, that Chernoff and Antonetti are, are tasked with from the get-go when they sign on for this job is how do you take a team that you know going in, you're not going to have a $200 million payroll. How do you make that last? And obviously drafting and developing is essential and finding Jose Ramirez and other diamonds in the rough on the international front is key. But it's also about kind of transitioning from from some guys who are getting older onto younger guys and, and turning over that, that window of contention and it's going to be something to monitor here for a couple of years. And it happens so fast, too. And I, I think I said this yeah. on the podcast, that there was a time in September where the Indians were reeling off win after win after win. And during the broadcast, they flash to the bench, and there's three guys sitting there not active, and two of them are Jan Gomes and Jason Kipnis. And I think the other one was Michael Brantley. And it's like, these were the three, the three guys that were the leaders yeah. of the team two years ago. Now they're sitting on the sidelines watching the team reel off 22 straight wins for a lot of that. You know, Kipnis and Brantley hurt, and Gomes had kind of been replaced as the starting catcher, at least, by Roberto Perez. I mean, it happens so fast, and that's why it's, it's – again, I don't envy the job of the front office because guys' careers can change based on one injury – and a career can can quickly go on the decline. Guys that look super safe at the time you sign them, <coughs> Nick Swisher, can go <laughs> off the cliff. And even a guy like Carlos Santana, what are people saying about him right now? That he's a sturdy, consistent, offensive force that of, of any of the guys on the free agent market, he is the most uh, reliable guy that you know what you're getting. And maybe he doesn't high-end beat out an Eric Hosmer, but you feel much better about his basement being much higher than a guy like Hosmer, and all these things that we're saying right now are true, and he could go out and get injured, or something could happen, and he's just not as good as he was. There's always that that risk involved with guys that are getting older. It's it's a tough task, and I, that's that's where you you want you want your front office as a fan to to be able to to look at and be able to forecast those things, but it's not easy, you know, and, and there are plenty of times that we sit here and we evaluate and we think, we think the same thing. I don't remember much of anyone saying, well, this next Swisher contract is going to be a, a really big mistake for this franchise outside of those that were just saying that to be a detractor. And yet by the end of it, what it ended up happening. So I, I think it's, it's difficult to extend the window. Um, when when you're trying to find a way in the Indians' position to to be good for more than that three to four years that we typically think of those mid-market to small-market teams being able to operate within. So, yeah, that's, that's why I, I think it also is kind of fun to look at some hypotheticals, things that we know aren't going to happen. But, you know, what? let's say they wanted to get crazy and they didn't care what the fans thought and they wanted to be able to extend the window longer in the future by – sacrificing this year and and next year and in years to come and if they wanted to trade a, a guy like Corey Kluber or 
uh, a Francisco Lindor or Jose Ramirez, you know, because while that stings and you're losing superstar talent, you also kind of salivate thinking of what you might be able to get back. So, you know, you, you, you start to daydream about those sorts of things. And you always get into the dangerous prospects that have a lot of potential, but also have a high likelihood of flaming out. That's, but it, you know, it's kind of our interest on the podcast to have fun topics like that, right? We don't always have to deal within logical bounds, do we? No, we don't. And I do also want to add, I, I think this team's going to have such a sense of urgency next year, where they're probably not going to be too pleasant to be around. I think I think they're going to let this stay with them for a while. Um, they were so upbeat last year, getting back to spring training and and knowing that knowing what it takes to get to the end of October and and to navigate through a season. And they knew they would be healthier. And and I think there's going to be a different tone this year. I think they're going to be on a mission, and that's going to be f- interesting to watch and also see like does that add pressure? Do do they? Do they know that this might be their last best shot, as you said earlier? Um, you also mentioned something. I, I We touched, we said we might talk about this coming on here. Um, what could you get for Francisco Lindor? Like if a GM called up, they don't call anymore. If a GM sent a gift to, <laughs> to Chris Antonetti of Francisco Lindor dancing or something and, and said, what do you want for this guy? Like, uh, what, what would, like, obviously Chris Antonetti would would send a gift back, just laughing and saying, "Good try." But like, <laughs> would it be the real Yoda laughing? Which laughing gift would he go with? <laughs> the one. That's a good question. The one where the guys like, now we throw our heads back and laugh, and all three of them throw their heads back and laugh. I, that would be. I would. I would need to know what are GMs go to return gifts. I think that's a story that we need to pursue. But like, what? I don't know even what team would have the balls to ask about Lindor or Kluber, but what legitimately, if Chris Antonetti doesn't just hang up the phone, what does he ask for? Like, what would you need to even be the slightest bit enticed to trade Francisco Lindor? I don't think, and this is, this is not to say Francisco Lindor is Mike Trout, but I think the argument is a little bit the same. I don't think there's a trade out there that, really that you're ever going to get back the the same value through the trade as what you're giving up. It's a rare instance where usually you're looking for for almost a surplus value to entice you to make the deal. I don't do you think there's a team that could give the that would be willing to give the Indians enough to actually make it happen because I I don't think in this situation because Lindor is not just important on the field but he's also a transcendent superstar off the field and that's important especially if you're trying to grow the game or bring the game back in this country having players like that is very important and having him wearing your team colors is super important you know so it's it just goes beyond even the value that he brings in wins on the field I don't think I don't think you could be able to get back something that could entice you to make that deal even if somebody called you up and offered what their five best prospects and a shortstop to replace them with. I, I, I don't know. I just think that I, I don't think you could get close in value to Lindor to even make you listen to that conversation. What if the angels offered Mike Trout? Well, I would be all for that. Wouldn't, uh, would you be, 
would you listen to a trout for Lind- this is impossible no neither team would find a way to make this work but money aside just looking at control trout's got three years left lindor has four so would you trade four years of lindor for three years of trout considering trout is the best player in baseball right now hands down i think i would you think you would if money if money was no issue I think so. But the, but the issue and this, am I crazy for thinking that my hesitation stems from the fact that the Indians would have no one to play shortstop and they already have Bradley Zimmer in center under control for six more years? Yes. Yes. You find a way to make that work. Okay. To bring in yeah, the, the best. I, play, I mean, Francisco Lindor is really good right now. I would not say, I mean, based on what we've seen so far, maybe someday he's a Hall of Famer, but he's not on a Hall of Fame path yet. It's too, still too early in this. Mike Trout, if he retired today, you could make a case for him being a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, but he's boring. <laughs> yeah, well, he's also really, really good. Every year, leads the league in value added to his team. And, and not just doing it based on like value to a losing team, but looking at win probability. He blows the field away every year. He's I know. Doing he's it. finished in the top two in the MVP voting every year except last year. Yeah. And that's only because he got hurt. Because if he didn't get hurt, he would have been a unanimous MVP. And you could have made the case that he was all even being hurt that he was the MVP of the league. I mean, yes, I'm making that deal. I'm finding a way to make it work. I'll find how the pieces fit. I'll make the Jose Ramirez go back to shortstop or I'll put Eric Gonzalez there. Whatever. I will figure that out. I will bring in Mike Trout. What if the Astros offered Carlos Correa? Uh, are they same year of control, right? I, I, I don't think yes. I would do that. I think there's similar talents on the field, and Lindor means more off the field. So, no, you would have to add more. Yeah. So, I, I spoke with a rep from Pepsi over the summer who basically said Francisco Lindor is the dream for any company doing business with him. He hits every target demographic in terms of he's bilingual. So he appeals to any uh, the, the Latin side, the American side. The guy never stops smiling. He's young. He has so much energy. I don't really understand that. Maybe it's it's the robe that he wears um, that he bought. Which, by the way, he and Mike Clevenger were the only players who wore those robes. Nobody else wore it, and no one else even kept it in their locker. <laughs> that day that they started that he bought the robes for the entire team. I think the only person that didn't get one was because they had just acquired Craig Breslow. He was the only player I believe in the clubhouse that didn't receive one. Um, and the, they all wore them the first day and <laughs> Jason Kipnis goes to his locker, puts his on and starts walking around <laughs> just watching. And he looks over at me and then he realizes how ridiculous he must look. And he just kind of gives me a nod like, Hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) All the players are like, oh, okay, we'll wear this. But yeah, I think you're right. The only players I can remember wearing them beyond day one may have been Lindor and Mike Clevenger. But not all of them possess the the ability to pull it off like Johnny Damon once did. So that's part (laughs) part of it too. I mean, we've got – so Lindor is into robes, and I don't know if you saw the shirt he wore to Edwin Encarnacion's wedding over the weekend. yes. But we (laughs) – I don't know if his fashion sense falls into the, the Pepsi guys, the dream, dream candidate, dream endorsement guy. Uh, he, he needs some help with his fashion. I think. Yeah, he's not on Ramirez's level. That's for sure. 
no, no. Um, but no, I'm, he's he's the perfect leader for a major league clubhouse in 2017, 2018, just because he can he can communicate with everybody, and he's he's so personable. And I think we said it the first time he walked into the Tigers visiting clubhouse when he got called up in 2015. He's smart. He's polished. He knows how to interact with the media, how to interact with his teammates and coaches. And it's like he was born with the, the spotlight on him. And so I'm with you. I think there is value added to the off the field stuff. Um, he is the perfect, just the perfect spokesman for a team. And it's why, I, I mean, I wrote this last season. It's, it's why it's easy to envision him in a big market, whether it's New York or Chicago or LA, just because, He's got that flair and he's got that that personality that just fits so well. And you can see him on billboards and on commercials. He'll have to get a little better at commercials. His Nissan North Olmstead uh, read is is it's pretty bad. Um, but he only has like three lines in there. I, I think yeah, that one, it's, it's I'm going to say that's on the right. Yeah, but he doesn't get the whole what is it? Are you kidding me? Like he, he's I think he needed to listen to a few examples before he did it. Um, I don't know how you but can he's miss got it time. because if you own a radio, it just plays even when the radio's <laughs> off. It just plays. They used to have comic strips too. Do they still have the comic strips I in the newspaper? I don't I don't I don't ads? know. I don't know. But he just turned 24. I mean, this guy has and he's experienced everything you can experience in the league. I mean, he's he's he really is the total package and it's going to be fun to watch him grow no one thought he would hit 33 home runs this past season I don't know what the hell he'll have in store for 2018 but uh, th- that sort of player is so exciting just all the attributes that it is tough that's, that's why I hesitate even though it should be a no-brainer that you trade him for trout well if you're if you are taking money into account which you kind of need to if this is existing in reality you also have to take into account that having Lindor now enables you to make moves elsewhere because he's not, right. he's, he's still making pre arb money. Whereas Mike Trout is on a $144 million deal uh, and mm-hmm. is making a crap ton of money right now, which would limit your ability to go out and impact other areas of the team. In fact, you probably have to trade more players to fit them in. So having Lindor now enables you while he may be a couple wins behind Trout in war, enables you to add that through the salary that he doesn't make. So, you know, there's there's reasons why that wouldn't necessarily make sense for both teams. But I think it's interesting. The the Perhaps the more interesting one, because it's I – th- I think it's probably less hypothetical because you could probably find situations where it makes sense would be Kluber or maybe Carrasco. But Carrasco is also a guy that – I mean, neither, neither Kluber or Carrasco is making a ton of money. But Carrasco is – if he were on the open market right now, what in the hell kind of contract would he get? I mean, he'd be through the roof. I mean, yeah, were, one of those like, six for 150 deals. Right. People were scratching their heads when he signed that extension. Like, what are you doing, dude? You, mm-hmm. you've, you've given away so much money. And his point was, I just, you know, I want security now. And he's stuck by an organization that's stuck by him. And maybe there's some loyalty there. You know, he has his own reasons and he signed it. And the team is thankful for that. But like Kluber, Clover's an interesting case because his, while he's not, a, you know, if you talk to about someone that was only five years into their careers, you would say, oh, well, you, and, and pitching like that, you could get all sorts of value for him. But 
because he's older and you can't ignore the fact that he did have back issues various points last year and occasionally battles a few things that caused his mechanics to get out of whack. Uh, you know, this, these are real things that a team would have to to weigh when deciding whether or not to give up what the talent it would take to get a guy like Corey Kluber. So that one is probably more realistic to find a scenario where it would make sense, but still really, really far-fetched. Carrasco can still afford like a three-week trip to Hooded Island in South Asia on the beach. So with, with water as clear as like your sink water. So I think his contract is still fine. I'm sure he's not kicking himself over holding out, not holding out for more money. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, the, the Indians, the reason why they have gotten to this point is because they have assembled this group the way they have with, with, with some of their best players all on bargain deals. And that's like, there's no way Edwin Encarnacion would have been able to come to Cleveland if Jose Ramirez wasn't making $2 million and Francisco Lindor wasn't making less than you. So <laughs> it's, it's obviously that will change and they'll need to find more cheap talent um, or just young talent that isn't expensive yet because of the way MLB's structure is set up. Um, and that's, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about where, that's going to be the task at hand once you get past this coming season and, and you get to 2019, 2020, and you want to extend that window. So, TJ, November's almost over. It's holiday season. Hope your Thanksgiving was good. Are you sick of the offseason yet? Or are there certain aspects of the offseason that you just have gotten really tired of? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Are we bored out of our minds yes are is it challenging to try to come up with uh different things to write about and make it interesting when nothing has nothing significant has happened yeah do i also realize that you have to take advantage of this as much now because there are going to be times when you're equally as bogged down and like tired and beat to hell because of the daily grind of the season that i'm appreciating this right now yes so I guess it's multifaceted. Can I be a complex person, Zach? Can I have more than one feeling on a particular thing? I guess, but that's not today. Everything needs to be just like one-sided and hot takey. That doesn't really flow. Okay. Well then erase everything I just said. And I think the off season should last for at least another four or five months. That's my hot take. Why is that? Because I enjoy getting to spend some time with my son and just kind of relax a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. I don't, I'm kind of ready for the season. <laughs> I, I, we, I went on my honeymoon. It was long. I, we were ready to come back. And I don't want to deal with snow. I'm glad the winter meetings are in Orlando. Um, and I've already, like, I've already set up spring training stuff and have looked into the schedule and I think I'm ready to go. I I am so bad at at not doing anything. And maybe it's because I don't have hobbies and we've touched on this and haven't done basket weaving yet or or figured out how to pass the time in the off season. And I go stir crazy. I mean, I we talked about it on Monday like I was like chomping at the bit to write about Dylan Baker and Kyle Crockett getting claimed on waivers just because I was like, finally something happened. Like, so that's, that's all I want. Just give me a few things every week that I don't have to force a topic 
if if I just have something to kind of analyze, some sort of move that they they make that is of some sort of significance, then I'm okay with the off season. But I, I'm also I'm a little less like you in that regard. I I think I can live with having a few things to force and come up with topics on as opposed to the other end of the spectrum. But I, I recognize that there are differences between you and I, so that's okay. We can be but, different people. TJ, this, this is why the Browns are so popular. You just hit the nail on the head. It's because, because nothing happens? Well, but there's always some sort of controversy to stir up. The Indians just – I mean, imagine if the Browns were 14-2 and two and went to the playoffs and – got their asses kicked in the division or, or blew a, a three touchdown lead in the division, the division series or game, the, the first playoff game, like people would be enraged and talking about that day after day, after day, after day until draft day. But with the Indians, it's like we, we take kind of a, a six week hiatus and we hibernate for a little bit. It, it's so different, and I think it's because there's always some sort of controversy with the Browns, and so we talk about them day after day after day. So after we need day. to start and, creating some controversy with the Indians. That's, well, that's your thought. Kind of, that's, that's why we made everybody panic by saying if they don't <laughs> win it this year, it's over. <laughs> it's all over! <laughs> that's fair. Uh, there are some elements of the offseason that I hate, though. You realize this, right? Like There are some things that just absolutely suck. And it's the Such same... As- it's the same thing that fans on Twitter love. They're dying for. They need it. They crave it. Even if it's fake, even if it's Anthony Kastrovitz writing an article just about trades that he'd like to see happen or Jim Bowden throwing something at the wall. Or, you know, there are, there are guys that are just looking for something to write in the offseason and looking for connections and trades and all sorts of speculations. And those are fine to an extent because – you realize that a lot of that's just, hey, these are just hypothetical fun things that we're talking about, like we're doing on the podcast today. Then there's the other side, which is there are the the rumors that are based some in reality, which cause some people to panic, but usually aren't worth the panic. And it's the, the if it's something like six teams are interested in Carlos Santana. OK, well. Where did that information come from? This is what I think is important to, mm-hmm. to note about every off-season rumor that you hear. And this is not disparaging the reporters that get this information. We get nuggets of information. National guys get nuggets of information. You decide what you put out there, what you don't, what you use as background information to, to give you something in the future or something that you want to put out now. These are all the different balancing act. And in today's environment, you have to come out with some sort of information to, to, you know, ju- justify your position and to give something on peeper, people on Twitter to, to chew and, and to swallow and ponder and all those sorts of different things. Where does the information come from is important to know. And if it's something like six teams are interested in free agent A, seven teams are courting free agent B, two teams have made offers to free agent C, the information more than likely is coming from probably an agent or somebody that represents that player or is close mm-hmm. to the, the representation of that player. Well, it is in their best interest. Is it not Zach to always make it seem like there's a lot more interest interest in a player than there probably is. Think about it. If you're trying to sell your house or a car or anything, you want to, do you want to make it seem like 
there are people interested because if nobody's interested, people wonder why no one's interested. And then if it's no one's talking about your player or your car or your house, it fades into the background and it's in obscurity. So it's always the agent's job. If a team texts, calls, whatever, and says, Hey, uh, what's, what's, what's going on with that player? Would they have any interest in coming to our city? Well, that agent might answer that question and that conversation might end there and it was just due diligence, but that agent can then run to a reporter or somebody close to an agent can run to a reporter and say, oh, I have a team that's interested in thinking about making an offer on a player. Is it really the case? Is that really happening? Mm, Probably not. Again, there's some truth there where it comes from, but it annoys me that you're always forced to chase every sort of rumor like that without keeping in context where the information comes from. And it's the same thing with, with a, a team. There are certain aspects of a player that, you know, maybe they, maybe let's just use this hypothetically. The Indians want to trade Jason Kipnis and they want the market to, to, to pick up for Jason Kipnis. So maybe somebody close to the ownership close to the front office is somebody that knows a reporter reaches out and says, Hey, two or three teams have been inquiring about Kipnis and yeah, kind of, there's been some talk that maybe they'll consider it. And then you draw up that interest and maybe more teams start calling, or there's a sense there that teams are interested, but they hear other teams are interested. They don't want to get left behind. So they get into the mix. Always keep in mind where the information is coming from. And I, I always, I, I just want everybody that panics over every little thing either panic or even gets excited about every little thing that gets put out there to, to just keep that in mind. Always remember why the information is out there because it's not just getting put out there just for somebody's, you know, just, just to do somebody a favor. That's probably not what's happening. What's happening is there's always some sort of benefit to that nugget of information being out there. Well, it's like, have you, have you ever seen some or a reporter tweet there are no teams interested in free agent A. Like, do you think Scott Boris is calling around and being and calling Ken Rosenthal and saying, "Hey, Ken, uh, just letting you know, here's an update. No one wants uh, Brian Shaw." Like, no, of course. There's a reason why you never see that, and I'm really glad you brought this up because I, I always think back to the the old adage of, "What is it? Believe half of what you see and none of what you hear." Yeah, and with with MLB rumors in the hot stove season, it should be believe a quarter of what you see and just assume everything you hear is wrong. I mean, I was talking to a, to a front, a front office member, not an Indians front office member, but a league front office member over the weekend. And he, we were talking about this topic and he was saying there was a national report that this team had talked to several starting pitchers on the free agent market. And the front office was just laughing because it wasn't true. And like they were reading this and they're like, well, that we've talked to some, but none of these that are on this list <laughs> that this guy tweeted. And it's like, like they're not going to go check with the reporter and say, hey, just letting you know you're wrong. We actually haven't. Um, because they don't like the teams, they do enough talking to each other where they know what's legitimate and what's not. And it is that, that extra wrinkle of, of having the agents involved. Because everybody has an agenda. Teams want to get stuff done. And sometimes, on the rare occasion, some teams will use the media to kind of spread interest. Or use the agents who use the media to spread interest. Um, and some teams, just they prefer to just keep quiet, be tight-lipped. Um, the Indians tend to fall in that category. And let 
them do the work and they know where teams stand and, and what they want and what other teams want. And so, yeah, it's, there's like, like what you see on Twitter or what you see reported on, on the network or whatever, it's, it's like two layers beneath what is actually happening at the surface. And so um, it's, you can't put too much stock in it. And there are certain things like, you know, if, if you see the Red Sox and Santana are discussing a deal yeah, I mean, once it gets to a certain point, and it's okay if that information gets out, then sure, that, that it's it's you treat that differently. But when you just see some of the preliminary stuff, or like you see, like the Mariners would like to obtain a second baseman, it's like, well, that's not rocket science. Or or <laughs> yeah. or, or you see them linked to linked to a player, but they haven't the two sides haven't discussed it yet. Well, then that's just that that's saying that like. Someone either talked to a front office member and was like, yeah, we'd like to fill this position and here are what, here's what we can do. And that player just fits the description of what they're looking for. Or it's just an agent saying, we know that team is looking for a second baseman. I represent this second baseman. It would make sense. Like there are things that are just obvious and there are other things that it's like, well, there's no way that this means anything yet. And at some point, we'll probably find out what happens. But right. I would always be interested in going back to like <laughs> looking at tweets before and during the winter meetings along these lines and then going, we, we never remember what they were. And I would right. love to go back and, well, and that's see why what the people, accuracy That's is. why you can put that stuff out there without hesitation because it doesn't matter. None of that matters. You could just put out whatever you want because – you word it in such a way that you're not really wrong about it. And like I said, there's probably a fraction of truth in some of the stuff that gets put out there, but it's a fraction. If a team calls and says, eh, if you ever consider moving or making this player available, he's a guy that we might have some interest in. Hey, thanks. And then guess what? That's now initial trade discussion. That's yeah. probably not quite what it is uh so that's well and keep that's in mind. that's the part that that kind of drives me crazy is because everything everything that gets put out there is taken for fact and it's yeah it's usually not quite what it seems these teams talk to each other every day i mean mike chernoff and chris antonetti will talk to all 30 teams multiple multiple times over this offseason and so it, it's not like if the stuff that does get reported or gets tweeted is just one tiny, tiny fraction of what actually goes on. And that's kind of why it's not worth it to put too much stock into a lot of it is because if we knew about everything, you wouldn't care that five teams have expressed interest in some random right-handed reliever. Well, of course, <laughs> because there are teams that need a right-handed reliever and there is a right-handed reliever who's pretty good, who's out there. I mean, why are there no tweets that say, 28 teams are interested in Carlos Santana or 28 <laughs> teams are interested in Jordan Carlos Stanton. Like, of course, <laughs> like there are players that would fit every team. You think, why don't we see tweets that say 29 teams are interested in Mike Trout? I mean, that, that's kind of what we're talking about is, is <laughs> hey, hold on. I, I, let me put that out there right now. The, if the angels make Mike Trout available, the Indians have interest. I can report yeah, that. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I think sometimes we get too caught up and, and that's just the way society works now. And, and that's the way social media encourages it. So it, it's not, it's not surprising anymore. It, it doesn't frustrate me like it used to, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, yeah. Sometimes when we get asked these questions, because something gets put out there 
and then we have 12 people bombarding us asking us you know are, are the twins really going to get Dylan Batances because it said in this one article that that would be a really good trade if they made it it's like relax <laughs> yeah so put it past the smell I, test I mean everything you hear put it past the smell test that's that's what I try to do. If if you hear something from uh, a source or or really anybody, I always try to keep in mind the information that you're given. Whether it's in that setting, it's in a post game setting, a pre game setting. Everybody has an agenda for giving something to somebody. Everybody, and, and it, the agenda can be simple. It can be, hey, I would like to have this positive information out there. And but there's always there's always something about that that you have to keep in mind and i also think nationally where it's it's different than locally is that you know we we hear or can put together uh can follow the bouncing ball on certain information and and we don't choose to put everything out there that that we hear um everything every bit of information that we're given on the record or off the record or whatever the case may be locally guys tend to not put everything out there because you know you're you're maintaining these relationships and it's all that that's really all you're concerned with is that team that you cover whereas national guys they don't have as much of responsibility to the local teams that they cover because they're not there every day and they don't necessarily have to answer for every rumor that they put out there so it's a lot easier for those guys to every bit of nugget of information that they get to just put it out there because there's no there's no real negative for them to doing that whereas local guys I think they have to to have a little bit more responsibility to making sure they double, triple, quadruple, and sometimes more times check a certain bit of information before they put that out there. I think the prime example of this, actually, uh, of the whole consider the source and think about everyone's agenda and who would want this information out there, was the Browns-Bengals botched trade. And then you start hearing reports on, well, it was the Bengals who screwed it up. No, it was the Browns who screwed it up. No, the Browns sabotaged it. And no, they just don't know how paperwork works. If you would have gone through that, and as we kept getting more and more info, think about who would want this out. Mm -hmm. The Browns, you see every Browns writer tweeting at the same time, source said Browns did everything right, and the Bengals just opted not to do the trade. Well, Obviously, a Browns person texted everyone on the Browns beat and said, gave their side of the story that makes them look like they're not culpable. And then the Bengals did their thing. And Marvin Lewis went up and said, you know, it got screwed up, but we did everything. You know, just consider why information is being put out there instead of just looking at it and saying, oh, this is fact. This is happening. Carlos Santana is signing with the Red Sox, Phillies, and Athletics. <laughs> who, who does the information benefit? And that's probably the source. That is a pretty, I think that's a pretty foolproof way of putting it. Is there any scenario where that doesn't work? Who does the information benefit? That's probably where it came from. Well, and of course, don't fall for fake accounts. Those are among my favorite things. Because <laughs> fake, the, the real, would it be real fake rumors? Those ones are annoying. The fake fake rumors are among my favorites. I love those. When you just throw out... Uh, sources indicate that John Carlos Stanton has been dealt to the Cubs for Jason Hayward and uh, a cheeseburger. I mean, those those are that's probably one of my favorite parts of the offseason or the trade deadline. And then seeing who got gotten is it? Would that be the correct English? That sounds horrible. Who got got? Who got got? Yeah, it's 
it's amazing how people fall for those and how they spread like that. Uh, it's it's like because it's always an account that has three followers. It's like how did someone see <laughs> or this? Cole Lopez, with? one of the two. Oh God. <laughs> Just try not to open up any more videos this year in the press box. Uh, before we uh, before we get out of here today, I noticed you had sent over uh, one topic that I think is interesting, but maybe we can save it for later. But the other one that that struck me as probably fun to discuss a little bit was your favorite Tito isms. Why, oh boy. why did you put that on the list? Not that I ever will be against dis- be discuss, uh, not discussing some of Tito's favorite go-to phrases, but why, why this week? Why did that one stick out for you? I was walking, <laughs> I was walking the dog this morning and I don't remember what happened, but I said, oh boy, like out loud. <laughs> and it, <laughs> when I did it, mentally I was thinking of Tito saying it because he says it so often when he's caught off guard. And I thought that would be a fun podcast topic. People, we can peel back the curtain a little bit and let them get to know the manager. Well, there have been times in the past that a certain member of the Indians beat who... I guess shall remain nameless, though if you would decide to out him, it's okay. Has come up with the idea to play bingo with Tito, with just his go-to phrases, put together a bingo card with all of his phrases, and then throughout a few days, see what happens, and then see if if you can get bingo on your card. And then in the middle of pre- or post-game, perhaps just stand up and yell bingo after he says a certain phrase and go from there. I I think that would be a fun game to play, you know? They have things that they do to kind of keep them on task, but also give them something else to think about. Why can't we have little different games that we play in the middle of us actually working? I think it would make a lot of sense. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, for next week's podcast, create a bingo board in preparation for next year, and we can go over it with our listeners, and they can learn, what, 25, 24 Titoisms. So you would like to save them all for next week. You're going to tease yeah, this we, for a week. That's something that, yeah, we, that could be like half or all of a podcast. But next week we could be talking about a Mike Trout trade and then Carlos Santana signing with the Athletics. So not with us, the actual Oakland Athletics. So I, I don't know if they're going to be time. But if, you, if you're feeling that strongly for it, I guess I'm okay. But I think we at least have to throw one on either side. There has to be the first one that comes. I mean, you had, oh boy, that one is a go-to. That's a, that's a gold standard. Like that's, that's like the middle of the card of free space. He says it so much. <laughs> is there another one just off the top of your head? You don't have to reveal them all, but just one, one go-to Tito phrase that stands out among them all. Oh, <sighs> I will. I don't know if this is my top one, but it's one that he says quite frequently. Actually, it's not one he says quite frequently. I'm going to save that one. I do want to tell a quick story. Uh, you were there for this, and it was probably one of the most cringeworthy, cringeworthy things to happen in the moment, but looking back is hilarious. And this, ha- For some reason, this happens all the time when just television cameramen are there that aren't normally there. <laughs> They'll be in the back of the room, and in the setup in the room, uh, Tito sits in a chair in front of the entire room. It's set up like, I don't, I don't what would that even be set up like? But there's just chairs set up and we're all 
looking at him like it's a congregation and he's giving a sermon. And in the back of the room is where the camera's set up. There's an open space. And then in the very, very back of the room is where the audio gets fed. So all the, the cameraman and anybody that needs sound can plug into the backs. And so that's where you're getting the sound that feeds the cameras. And then you go on and later watch it. And whenever there's, for whatever reason, anybody that's not there typically will be in the back of the room. And quite frequently, we've had discussions between two people, two cameramen, two people trying to figure something out, two people at the audio box. And they'll just be talking in the middle of Tito giving an answer. And the one that always comes to mind is when this was happening and Tito like kept looking towards the back, but just was hoping that at some point they would shut up. And they just kept talking and bickering back and forth. And at some point, Tito looks up and he says, you guys done jacket around back there? <laughs> the way he said it struck me in the moment was just like, what is happening? But looking back on it was one of the funniest things that I can remember him saying is, you guys done jacket around back there. <laughs> it's like a, a teacher in a classroom. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I we let's save the rest because there's there's some good ones. All right, we will save the rest for next week. That's fair. Um, what I hope people don't save for next week or the week after, just do it now while you're listening to the podcast. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts to the Selby is Godcast. You can also find us on Bumpers, and I know our, our RSS feed gets fed multiple places. So I'm sure if you're on Android or your computer, if you search Selby is Godcast, I pretty sure you can find it to subscribe to it we also post up the individual podcast to the athletic page so there are like a thousand ways you can find us but subscribing on apple Podcasts would be very appreciative from us and uh also rate us leave us a comment because that's what makes our feed actually get easier to find i guess so help us out rate our podcast even if you're giving us one star and saying these no. guys suck why can't people Don't do be that. honest? But people can be honest. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to run. We will pay for it. We'll pay for stars. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. Zach will pay for stars. Just make sure you email him or follow him on Twitter for ways to actually find out how you can get paid money for five stars. But do that on Apple Podcasts, and we would really and, appreciate it. And happy Cyber Week, everybody. We have some amazing deals. If you extend your subscription, or you subscribe, or you give a gift, you can get all sorts of stuff. Uh, T-shirt, maybe, uh, Amazon gift card, all sorts of things. And, of course, a discounted rate. So, do that. Extend your subscription for a century. <laughs> yes. Do that. Pay in advance. Make sure your window of subscribing ah. does not come to a, an abrupt halt. There's no better way to end this podcast. I'm not even going to try to stop it. So good work, Zach. Look forward to talking to you next week, buddy. Sounds good. <laughs>